you got to keep the big picture that, hey, we're changing the world. We're changing the world. If you want to be taken seriously, you have to be consistent. We're speaking with people that are sending a pulse to their industry. Pulse Welcome to, their to industry. Electric People. We have Dave Madsen on the show. Check out Tim Ballard. Jeff Curl. Sheckler. Kenzie Watts. The League presents Electric People. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Electric People. Today we have a special guest from Florida, the, the Sunshine State, Ryan Tall. Ryan has been with the company since when, Ryan? When did you start with us? Uh, 2013. 2013. Yeah. Um, Ryan started with us, I think, out in California, right? Yep, Bakersfield. Bakersfield. Yep. And then migrated east to Maryland. Yep. Yeah, made a pit stop in San Diego first, but... A little pit stop. Yep. Um, and then uh, was one of our district managers in the D.C. North office for a long time, eventually promoted to be a director over uh, what's known as the Legion, which is Florida, Carolinas, Virginia, and Maryland. Yep. And then um, went to help us grow Chicago, and then right when COVID kicked in, Chicago got shut down. And then he's made his way down to Florida uh, is now the director over Florida and is uh, doing an awesome job for us, helping us grow the market down there. So Thanks, man. Ryan, man, excited to have you on. It's long overdue, I feel like. Dude, I'm happy to be here. You've been on quite the journey. He's been on a journey, yeah. And that doesn't include pre-solar. Right. So what were we doing before solar? Dude, uh, so I started, I went on a mission when I was 18 okay. uh, for the church. Where'd you go? I was in Bolivia. Okay. Learn, the, learn Spanish. For the Mormon church. The Mormon church. Bolivia. Yep. yep. I was in the in middle of the Amazon jungle area. Learned, learned some Spanish there and some good work ethic. Came back and was recruited by Brett Bolivia Kessler. just sounds hard. It is. Physically speaking, hard. Really? Oh, yeah. Were you living in, like, huts down there? Or was it, like, what's the... <laughs> I'm just ignorant... No, it's, it actually, it's pretty speaking. accurate. So, yeah. so you have Maine, Bolivia. The Maine cities are pretty pretty modernized, right? Okay. You have electricity, you have buses, you have gas, you have a McDonald's. If you a have McDonald's big is there, big stereos, big huge stereos. That's People true. love their stereos. Paved roads. Paved road, yeah. Pavers on the roads, yeah. Okay. Like bricks, essentially laid. All right, pavers. And then you go outskirts, and you had to have like a certain privilege to go to the outskirts, and that's that's your huts. And so, I was, how do you get the privilege? Uh, I still don't know, but uh, it like essentially you have to be assigned those orders, <clears throat> you're saying. Yeah, yeah you, you have to be pretty trusted to go on the outskirts. That's where, historically speaking, some crazy stuff can happen. And uh, so I got assigned out there after three months and was there for about a year and actually lived in a hut. So it's not that ignorant. You know, we, we had mud walls, we had a thatched roof, and there's, you know, showers. Uh, no, we was a bear. I actually paid somebody to make a shower for me, but we were sponge bathing out of a you know a, a well that you draw out with a bucket. But I paid the a kid. I started the Boy Scouts of Bolivia on not officially, just so you know. It's just we needed some sort of program. The Ryan Paul <laughs> chapter. Pro- probably, okay. probably, probably fell apart really fast. Okay. But Still I going paid, to this day. I, I paid a kid to take a barrel, build a stand about six feet tall, put a hole in it. And then he would actually get paid to come and start a fire every morning at 6.30. No way. Just oh, underneath this barrel. Water. Oh, yeah. Dang. I was living luxuriously. Uh, you were, yeah, that's kind of rubbing it in, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so you'd pay this kid every day to come over. How much did it cost to pay the kid? I actually don't remember. He was, he was so excited, though. He, I mean, he was excited for the money. 6 a.m., he's at your house oh, every yeah. day. Yeah, well, in that area, your average income there is less than $2 a month. 
So $2 American. And so I was definitely paying him more than that. And he was a kid, so he was probably making more than his parents were He was making. crushing it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. So, so, I actually forgot about that. That's so funny. You so you were starting up the showers every morning, living in Bolivia. <laughs> <laughs> yep. There you were in the jungle. Just living the dream, man. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. So you do that. You come back uh, from doing your, your Mormon mission, and then you start doing door-to-door sales. Yeah. So I was recruited, um, really good family friend of mine, you know, Brett Kessler, yep. uh, brought me into the industry. And, you know, I still remember coming back broke from your mission because you have to pay to go on your mission. Yep. Um, come back broke. He had 500, you know, dollars sitting on the table. And Wait, so iPod. you're telling me Brett Kessler recruited both you and me into the door-to-door it's industry. A big That's a, Did he do the $500 trick we're about to hear That's about? That's a pretty, <laughs> no, he showed me his new golf clubs. Uh-huh. And I just remember thinking, how in God's name did he afford those? <laughs> and he was like, door-to-door sales. He's baby. like, if you yeah. want to get behind the shaft of these yeah, bad no, boys, that's pretty, uh, <laughs> roll with that's, the crew. Yeah, Brett's, yeah. Got, Brett's got a legacy of people that he's recruited. So I guess yeah. we're, you know, He, he was the OG. Yeah. yeah. No, but so I Brett still remember. Had 500 bucks. Well, and the, that's when the iPod came out while I was on the mission. That was a big deal. You come back and I was like, what's that thing? And he's just like, it's your welcome home gift if you sign right here. <laughs> so, <laughs> you feel, did you feel very cheap? Straight up just like a drug dealer recruiting his new corner guy. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. I, I didn't feel cheap at all. I felt rich after that, actually. New so. iPod. So just a, an iPod and a tube of chapstick and you were ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> that's all it took. That's all it took. No, yeah, I, I still just, I mean, that was back before you hear like the really big ones, but Brett just came off of $35,000 in the summer, you know, and you hear all these people making big money. I was like, this seems, this is what I'm going to do through college. And here I sit 15 years later, still knocking doors, but, you know, went through security sales with them for about five years, started up a satellite company with Sterling Hills and Bakersfield. And that, that kind of fell apart really fast when we found out what chargebacks mean and you know, this solar thing seemed like the cool thing at the time. So explain chargebacks. So you, you sell these contracts and, and as a sales these rep, you don't really see control contracts. Them. Yeah. How long have, are the contracts? So they, well, this, this satellite. one's satellite. Yeah. Oh, so satellite. Two year contracts. So you have to guarantee them, but yep. talk to people about that. And yep. the contracts are how much a month for the customer? Uh, 60 to 120 depends you, on the package. So, okay, so then you guys were making how much off those as a as a dealer or whatever? As a dealer, like our take-home was anywhere between 250 and 350 as like the owners of the dealership. And then you're paying sales reps out of that condition, yeah. got it. Yeah, and then all of a sudden you, you can go, if a customer defaults on one month, you get charged back the full commission plus the cost Total. of the equipment. Oh, uh, which is how much? A lot. I can't remember all the margins. I remember this. But it like was when bad. people were starting alarm dealers, like, look at all this margin, and they didn't know about chargebacks, which means you have to guarantee the account a certain amount For of like time. For like 13 months. And if or you so don't, like yeah, you have to, you not only have to give back the, the commission, but you have to replace the account. Yep. This is like the killer. People don't know about that. Like, in, if you like go through and start doing the math on a napkin of starting your own dealer, like, chargebacks is not a, not a factor. It's not part yeah. of the math that you're doing. You're so, just, you guys, I didn't know that. Yeah. So, we, we did that. We sold backpacks in like, Kiosk. I don't know if you guys heard of Geiger Rig down the road. I remember, from I remember Wait, you and Stir yeah. sold backpacks. We were hawking backpacks. Sterling's <laughs> 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 so like, I got, I got, I got one word for you, backpack. Backpacks. Now, what comes to mind? He's like, you're like, he's like, all right, right. I yeah. know we're a little bit down on our luck. I know we're, 
I know uh, things yeah. haven't gone You're as planned. You're on campus. Look around. What's the one uh, thing no. everyone has? <laughs> look around. Look around. I want you to just look around yeah. campus. Try. What's one thing everyone's wearing here? Nail. You're female. like shoes. I don't know. He's like no backpacks. Ah, yeah. We know how to corner that market. We're gonna kill it. <laughs> no one's thought of backpacks. Well, uh, no. Okay. Right. So funny thing is, we would sell these backpacks, but every backpack came with a free ticket to Snowbird. And so, like, they'd actually get a backpack. In Bakersfield, though. Well, no, this was this was here. Yeah, this oh, is you here. Guys yeah. Keep up with you, the entrepreneurial yeah. okay, I'm, so, we, so, so, wait, you tucked tail and ran I, from Baco. You yeah. came back home. No, this is before Baco. So, okay. I'm skipping all over the place. So, I, you know, we went from satellite, learned about chargebacks. So it's like, dude, backpacks seem like a good idea. And that idea. was here in Utah. That was that, in you Utah. know what doesn't get charged back? <laughs> <You know? laughs> backpacks. Which is also not true. We got charged back on those, oh, too. No. <laughs> so, we, okay. we rented a couple of kiosks in malls. And we were just like, dude, we can sell these backpacks because literally if, if people are going to go skiing, they can get a backpack for cheaper than a Snowbird ski ticket. And so it's like, dude, buy How this. How did Snowbird give you ski tickets for that? It was a really smart model. So the owner, Guy Gerig, <laughs> just lined it up. I don't even know. It, just, it was just You're really like, we're smart. We're selling a $60 backpack. We're going to put a $100 <laughs> lift ticket in. It like, was in. a really smart model. What <laughs> more? All right, let's keep going. <laughs> yeah. There you are. You're at the mall. Backpacks. <laughs> backpacks. And right. uh, weirdly, we could not sell backpacks for cheaper than the snowbird ticket, even though we're saying, hey, get a free snowbird ticket, and then you get a backpack people with like it. It's too good it. to be true. It was just too good to be true. We were scaring people away. We were the like the people going door to door saying, hey, it's free, 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 free. Mm-hmm. And the customer's just like, yeah, bro, I don't believe you. You would have done better selling $80 lift tickets instead of $100 lift tickets yep. and being like, okay, now I get it. Yeah. Yeah. So, when, so wait, it, how you much know, should you invest in the old backpack biz? Between Sterling, I don't remember Still exactly. I don't want Sterling to fact check me on this, but it was somewhere around like 10K out of our pocket. Oh, geez. And so luckily we had somebody come buy us out. They did a way better job. Like the second Sterling it's and I like stepped out of it, it they like, yeah, they, they murdered it. Like they stepped in and, and did really well. But Sterling and I, you know, we, we were just talking about this the other day. It's like, if you look from back then to now, would we have thought we'd be where we are today? It's like not even... Yeah, the Not backpack guy is frustrated that he didn't keep going on the trail. Yeah, yeah. there's all there's a lot of routes from A to A to Z. I remember yeah. I think one of the first times I met you in Bakersfield, I was visiting the team there. I think you were there that day and we were in the meeting. And the meetings, like the, the office spaces, you remember the early office spaces, dude? Like the, the secretary sat in the meeting room because it was the only room. Mm-hmm. And so like she'd be trying to work as we're like being all rowdy in the meeting and stuff. And we hear this just like sharp screeching like skin crawling loud noise and we go outside and there's dude they had this like like patio cover thing in their parking lot and the box truck guy like the installer guy forgot something at the warehouse and just pulled up front and literally just like can opener the top of the truck and just drove right through the thing I forgot about that. Yeah, there was the other time where there was that like full on like issue in the parking lot with paint. Remember that? Like there was, I won't go into it because there's names and stuff like that, but never a dull moment in the early Bakersfield (laughs) days, dude. Those are the good old times, man. All right, so so the backpack thing, then then what? Um, Sterling was just like, he he knew Jeff Sorensen selling in Hawaii. And he's like, hey, I think we can make a lot of money selling solar. I think I'm going to. How'd you you and Sterling meet? Uh, we saw he. We went to Utah State together. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Like Sterling, one more opportunity. I'm gonna stop answering your phone calls, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny thing is, is I pitched him on the satellite and the backpacks, oh, and so, so I was like, "Hey, my, my ideas aren't working very well. So let's let's try you yours out." And, 
Yeah, I actually wanted to come out to the East Coast. I was going to come join you on the East Coast, and Sterling's just like Bakersfield's the spot, and he, you know, he called the shot. It's it was the start of a really cool, really what cool thing. What about that market so. still just cranking? I know, Bakersfield. Three hundred installs a, a quarter. Unicorn, he, so they've a been small... doing it there for eight years. I mean, just thirty plus quarters. Like of, three two fifty to three hundred, yeah. Automatic. So yeah. we we showed up the second quarter of Bakersfield being in business, and we're just like, dude, this market maybe has three years. We got a three year yeah, run at this market, and so and that's when we were installing with one crew installing maybe what fifty a quarter or something like that. Now they're installing <laughs> three hundred a quarter. Have you heard years. my theory on that though? Like off. why it works? Because if you look at Boston, if you look at San Diego, if you look at Bakersfield, Concord. No, some of our oldest markets have the highest per rep average. So not only do they still do high volume, but the individual reps, whether they're established or new, actually historically and by the data perform better now. Mm. So you would think, like I was having this conversation the other day with this guy and he's like, I want to go to a market that's not saturated. And I was like, well, penetrated, not saturated. Saturated means it's, there's no more room. But, you know, when you look at like a adoption curve, you know, when you got like your innovators and early adopters and then your early majority and late majority, yep. well, your early majority and late majority represent 70% of the population. Your innovators are like 2%. Your early adopters are like up to like 7%. So for those like time when you were hitting those like 50 installs a quarter and it was fresh and no one had ever heard about it before, you got your own problems like legitimacy, like your backpacks. Yeah. But now think about the people that are buying solar now they probably grew up in a house that had solar maybe yep uh they've probably been driving hybrid cars pretty much since they've been driving or the market has moved on enough that there is a bigger swath of people that's more open it's the time like it's not hard to sell an iphone now right like everybody has an iphone yeah. a long point. time ago it was a lot harder and so now we've reached kind of this mass adoption thing and so it's a really interesting, but the same thing is true in Boston. Like, look at your guys' averages in Boston now. And your guys do better now than, than in the early days. And how could that possibly be? Well, I think it's the time for more people now. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's becoming weird if you don't have salt. That's right. And think about, think about, we always talk about this, but like, think about from the time where it was weird that you had a cell phone to where it was weird that you didn't have a cell phone. Mm -hmm. Remember, like, I remember friends in high school, like, you got a cell phone? And then like one or two years into college, like you don't have a cell phone. That happened so fast. It was like a four or five year window. Yep. And now. Well, there was, then there was like the, the smartphone resistors that were like holding on to their razor, yeah. you know. <laughs> and you're like, have you seen an iPhone? Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's like the people <laughs> that are like, I'm not doing my banking online. That's how they get you. And you're like, whatever. <laughs> That's how they get you. That's you're, how they get you. But think about it. Because like I've heard some me. of those guys pitches now. Like Galvin will straight up walk up to people. And he's like, hey, why don't you have solar yet? Yeah. And I'm like, that bridge. wouldn't work in a lot of other markets. But it's far enough along. They're like, yeah, I know. And they, they can work through it. But it really is a different way to think about those kind of markets. You Dude, know? Ty, I don't know if you remember this or not. But actually, Bakersfield, you came to there. It was, it was within your first couple months. You pulled in on your Harley because mm -hmm. you were the cool guy on the Harley. No, I pulled yeah. in on my Harley because I could split lanes on the way home and it cut like an hour and a half out of my traffic. But no, I just thought you were the cool guy. That doesn't explain all the leather chaps and everything. <laughs> no pants, just chaps. <laughs> I, I still remember you talking about area bouncing, actually. And you were just like, you. at some point, there's going to be streets where you're the weird guy without solar. And yeah. if you don't have it, you're the weird guy. And I remember you taking a picture of somebody up in, or a street in... Uh, uh, up Oaks. north, yeah, or Thousand Oaks, and it's like there's that one weird guy, and you pointed out, I was like, holy crap, he's right, and so it's actually happening. It's crazy it to see nine years later, right? Like, that it, way. but it's really cool to see how the product has 
really, I mean, it's just the right time, right? Yeah. Like it makes sense financially. It makes sense from like a feel good standpoint. It makes sense from a business standpoint. The alternative is terrible. And so it's like, I, I, I really applaud the people that have been on this journey as long as you have, because it's like, you saw it through, but it was smart. It wasn't a Hail Mary. It was like, okay, this actually has some legs. And now is the time for those people. Like now those people that stuck it out in those early markets are opening new markets like yourself, or they're actually like have higher retention rates because of the work that they've done. Yeah. But a market really will progress that way. Like when people look at like, how long is this thing gonna last? It's not, we're running out of hood. That hood gets better and better with adoption, yep. you know? Ryan. Yeah. I think something that's impressed me, and I, we've worked closely together for a while now, um, your ability to, well, a couple things, but your ability to adapt to change. Um, it seems like every time we throw these major wrenches at you, there's always this moment of like, oh man, like, you'll like call me and be like, are we seriously doing this? You know, or like whatever. <laughs> and I'll be like, yeah, man, like we have to do it. And he'll be like, all right, well, let's go. And then he just like, he has like this one moment where he kind of like is annoyed at the change and it literally flips within like a second. Well, and they're not changes like, hey, we're changing a penny on the PPA. You're no, moving four like states we, over. We like, call, <laughs> no, we call him one day, you know, years ago and we're like, hey, Ryan, Maryland as a market is changing and we need you to switch from selling 100% PPAs to selling ver basically 100% loans. That's yeah. not how it happened. You guys teased me into this. All right, it was, it was hey, do you think you can get to 20% loan? And I was like, no. <laughs> and, and, then I was, and then I talked to Brady Colum and I was like, dude, how do we do this? I was like, I was like yeah, we can do it. They come back, he's like, hey, I know we were off a little bit on the numbers, it's actually 35% adoption, we need 35% adoption. And I was like, guys, you gotta be kidding me, there's not a chance. <laughs> and then as they, it was like, what we need you to do, it's like, all right, well, let's do it. And then I get a call from Bywater and I was like, all right, they don't just call the CEO in just for this one because I've already told them. He's like, I don't you know why your leaders didn't just give me the number the first time. It's 100%. <laughs> no, there's like, there's like, hey, if you don't get to 50%, we're closing your market down in the next, I think it was like two quarters or something like that. Yeah. It's like, if you don't do this, then we have to shut down. I was like, well. Because we were losing money on PPAs. Yeah. So yeah, scary. And, and Ryan, to his credit, and him and along with Will Hard and a bunch of the other leadership out there, they all got behind it fast. Yeah. And yeah. but Ryan is always the one to lead the charge on that. The other one, um, and then we've, you know, you've moved around a little bit and you've always adopted through change really, really well. And I think that's a big part of the reason why you've been able to maintain so much influence with people, because they just see the way you react to change and like you just always have a good attitude. Everyone loves being around you, which kind of leads me to the next point is Thanks, man. you of all the leaders, I think, on the East Coast, um, you manage with, like, what I would say manage with fun as well and as more than maybe anyone else I know. Um, so, one, I want to ask you, where does that come from and kind of what's the, like, the method to the madness with that? And then, two, um, what's, your, what's your best worst idea you've ever had? Because I know you've had, uh, I know you've had a lot of good fun ideas, but I know you've had some that have backfired as well and not been that great idea. And I'm, I'm the king of like the best worst ideas, so, um, oh, so I'm interested to hear what you think your best worst idea is. But then also just All like, right. where does that come from? The managing with fun, like you're always positive. It's like a very much like a positive reinforcement type of, uh, you know, method. Yeah, no, it's a good question. It's um, 
So I, I manage in not the highest paid regions, right? So per rep or per account, we don't make as much money as some of the, you know, the Californias or, or Boston or even Jersey or Mass or, or uh, uh, New York. But we do work in like a pretty difficult area as well to where the customer's about the same, but their reps aren't making as much money as some of these guys that are actually selling higher income. So it's like, how can we change that? What type of experience are they gonna have from that? So my goal has always been, hey, we're gonna have fun while we do this. Like, there's gonna, we're gonna go work our butts off, but we're gonna have some fun along the way. And if you're not having fun, then really there's nothing left in those markets. They're gonna be taken off to these other markets. Um, but number two is I think that by the end of it, if, if they're not uplifted by the end of working with me or with the groups that I work with, then I don't really think that anything was worth even showing up for. There's not a dollar amount, there's not a anything amount that'll show up that was worth doing anything if you didn't have fun or felt uplifted or better because of it. And so the guys that I work with, they're some of the leaders that come out that are still at the company, not necessarily in the region that I work with, but we went through some crazy obstacles. And if you read that book, like The Obstacle is the Way, um, I, I was you know lucky enough to read that in my younger career. and. Every time that we had these obstacles pop up, it's just like, hey, there's, there's two ways to approach this. And it's to try to fight against it or try to go against it. But at the end of the day, the company needs to get to this, to this destination. I chose to be here. And so let's go and figure out how to get there. And the only way that I didn't know how to do it is through hard work and having fun. Mm-hmm. And so by the end of it, hopefully the guys you know, got uplifted by it. I think that's like coming from like watching some of the, <clears throat> the East Coast like struggles that you had. You guys have watched our struggles and we've watched yours. Um, but at one point, I actually, I've told Adam this before, and I've told Jeremy Long this, that I, I actually was a little bit envious of some of those struggles because, for example, you guys, uh, you know, up north, you got the winter, right? And it's weird. Like, every now and then when you have something to push against, it gives people an experience. It exacts greatness out of people. It gives them a reason to fight. And so you can be like, hey, you know, uh, I remember Mike Brand doing this thing when it was, like, pouring down rain. You remember, the, would you take a shower with your clothes mm-hmm. on for a 1000 bucks? Do you remember this? <laughs> so Mike put out this video of him in, the, in all of his clothes in his shower and he turns the shower on and he's like, would you take a shower with all your clothes on for $1,000? It's raining outside. That's two sales or oh, that's one sale back then. Now it's mm-hmm. five times the money. But um, <laughs> And so I was like, oh, dude, like one of the problems that we had on the West Coast at the time is that everything was kind of just fine all the time. There was nothing to push against. So it was like people would kind of fall into this malaise of like, yeah, it's 65 to 72 degrees and it's fine and whatever. But it wasn't like, guys, there's something new. Like it's pouring down rain. Let's show them that we're we're tough. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's our lead, our lead tasso. Yeah, it's your lead tasso moment, dude. Get out there. You got to give them a common, uh, a common enemy to fight against. That's yeah, right. but even think of like, you know, relationships. Like every now and then you need something where it's like, we need to go through this together. And yeah. it's like, I was having a hard time finding something to like, get the guys to really care about and rally around other than just numbers in production. But it's like when you say, hey, we're having, what do they call them, an Arctic bomb or whatever, like those crazy snowstorms you get up there. Yep. Or, or like your weather, like where you get a hurricane or something coming through there and you're like, hey, or we got to switch to the phones or figure it out. It's funny because it's like, those are really hard times. But for me, I was like, I need a, I need a good snowstorm. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Now, dude, I, I still remember because that was a big fight back in the day, right? I said bigs fight because the fight about the bigs competition. Mm-hmm. We moved it two months forward because the, the East Coast was always in the championship round in a blizzard. And I still remember we were up against San Diego in the semifinals. We lost, which I'm not too happy about. But I still remember that Friday and that Saturday, the last two days 
of that round. It was uh, sub 10 degrees on that Friday. And it was like sub 10 degrees with sideways shooting snow. And I still remember we didn't win. We didn't win that round, but I still remember like we have so many guys that I know for a fact that they were on the doors because they showed up energized on that Monday. Yeah. And I was like, I still look back as like, we became better even though yeah. we lost, it sucks losing. Like it's still like my forever challenge, I think. When and you're knocking doors and people are like, what is wrong? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everyone's home from school. And yeah, there's something in. gratifying about it, for sure. It's There's something gratifying about doing hard things when you know everyone else is, like, you know, tuck tail and running and you're out there grinding still. Yeah. When a couple of years away from the event, all you remember is the positive emotions. You don't remember the physical pain. Like living in the hut and talking about, yeah, we paid this kid. I'm like, oh, that sounds fun. <laughs> it was probably 95% <laughs> terrible. Oh, yeah. But now a couple of years ago, you're like, I'm glad I did that. You know? I, I tell people all the time, you couldn't pay me a million dollars to want to do that again, but you couldn't pay me $10 million to give up those experiences. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So best worst, best, worst. Uh, best worst incentive for best worst idea. Incentive or idea? Just idea. I, are we talking back to high school or where no, are we going? Work-wise, work-wise. <laughs> What's the worst thing, you, worst I mean, decision you've ever I mean, you made? you gotta realize, Ty, when Ryan does like a conference, like he'll come out like shooting money guns like into the crowd, like <laughs> he does crazy stuff. It's like a, you know, some sort of circus act. Yeah. There's always things that like you would just never expect to happen when Ryan's hosting an event, so. I don't think I have a bad idea, Adam. No, I'm just work. kidding. No, right. it's uh, <laughs> we well, I, w I wasn't necessarily my idea, but I was part of the mastermind on this one. I'm gonna go back to Tiger Days. You guys know the story. Yeah, let's hear the Tiger story. All right, we had a conference lined up, and we had this mastermind group that planned this conference out, and we're just like, it was crazy. We we're spending so much money on these events. We had casino night, everybody dresses up, suit and tie, and we're just like, dude, we need one thing over the top, which you would think casino night and dancers and all the stuff that we already had set up. There was like the coolest like dancing circus Olay group that came in, not enough. We needed a tiger. A real tiger. A real tiger. Okay. Cost like I'm not satisfied until we get the tiger. Yeah, it was, it was an $8,000 thing. <laughs> $8,000 two hour rental. <laughs> how, many, grand. how many tigers are in Maryland? Uh, What's the tiger population? <laughs> I don't know, but I know there's one. <laughs> there was one. No. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I don't even want to talk about it too bad. I mean, anyways, there were, there was a lot of things that happened, and somebody was really offended. So the tiger, tiger shows there. up. Tiger comes to the event. Everyone's just wasn't there like some resistance before the tiger showed up at the well, event? Well, yeah, I, I know how deep to go into this. Essentially, the resistance we was somebody somebody threatened to call PETA, which. <laughs> Makes this a lot is a of sense. legit tiger rental. It's not like you're yeah. like wrangling a like a yeah. Call Peta. It had tiger, it yeah, had like tiger insurance. A, you yes, know, I mean, totally safe. It's a real thing, by the way. Tiger insurance is a real thing. <laughs> Just in case. That? Yeah. Right, is, it insuring, is, is it insuring in case the tiger harms anyone? Yeah, is that what it's, it's like insuring? a liability insurance. Okay. And so, like, they have everything. This guy's a legit tiger guy. But we thought through. It's like if Peta gets in touch with a green environmental company being anti-animal rights. Not a great look. It's not the best look. And so we we ended up before the event even happened, we're just like, hey, uh, we're, we're out on this. And so the tiger never came out, but we still had to pay eight grand. Still had to pay eight <laughs> so, grand. So, but yeah, it's, uh, that was the top of the top, probably. I wonder, like, I wonder if it was the tiger. Like, do you think if there was a cute monkey that came that there still would have been pushback? Everybody likes I'm a monkey. I'm pro monkey. I'm yeah. pro monkey. I kid a monkey. 
<laughs> I'm pro monkey as well. I think. That's the title for this episode. <laughs> pro well, monkey. Everyone knows I'm pro monkey. So <laughs> if you call PETA here. having a monkey at an event, you got something wrong with yeah, you. I'll tell you that much yeah. right now. So this so. is a this is a like a like a experience we're having on this planet. Relax. There it's we a monkey. go. Everyone likes monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. So I, I, we've seen the fun side. I want to. Um, I know an event in your life that really clearly has kind of defined you is something that happened while you were on your mission, uh, your Mormon mission. Yeah. And um, I've heard you give trainings and, and talk about, I know it's a hard topic to talk about, but can you kind of just share with the audience kind of what happened while you were doing your two-year Mormon mission? And then maybe, I guess, tie it into some lessons that you've taken from that throughout your life. Yeah. No, I, I used to not very, be very open about it just because it actually makes me cry. And yeah. so I might make it through without crying. But uh, my mom, since I was a little kid, I'm already starting to cry. I'm already starting to cry. <laughs> it's okay, man. No, it's, uh, it, it's my mom has been sick since I was a little kid. And she had a, a pretty bad disease that, you know, made things difficult for her. And so there was any point in our life, like me and my brothers, we grew up. And my dad would always say, hey, don't do anything stupid that would make your mom die. It was, it was you know, she just couldn't get upset. Couldn't get that wow. intense. And he wasn't like being facetious. No, yeah, like it wasn't, he was being yeah. dead serious. Yeah, it's a, it's a real thing. She was in the hospital. So you she know. got emotionally too amped up or something that was unsafe for her. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, you know, she was in the hospital most of most of our childhood. There was there was years where we wouldn't see, you know, her and my dad. And and there was years, there were good years too, but you know, the most of it was, you know, pretty rough. Mm. And on your mission, as you guys know, you you can't call home. And so you get two phone calls a year. You get Mother's Day and you get Christmas. And outside of that, you're breaking the mission rules. And so I, I was in and back the, back when you were there. There wasn't like email or cell phones or anything. There that kind was of stuff. email, but not in the city that I was in. Okay. And so you you would we we just started writing letters, and he's kind of got used to not really, uh, you know, Here, communicating family, at yeah. all. So you do once every month and a half. We'd go do emails, but yeah, you just don't communicate at all. Right. And so I there's a there's a uh, like an internet type cafe place just down the road that we had a phone there and this guy came running down the road and he's, he's, he's just like, hey, somebody's speaking in English. I need you to translate for me. And I get on the phone. It's my mission president, my dad. And I was like... Just oh, randomly God. a guy comes and finds you guys. Well, it's, I knew the guy. He was part of the church. And so okay. and, he, and he, he was just like, I need you to translate. So he was thinking that somebody just calling in English. He didn't know that they were calling for me. And uh, as my dad, and he's like, hey, he's like, your mom can't talk back, um, but she can hear you right now. And so she was in. She was in this big surgery, this big open chest surgery, and they had tubes down her throat. And they thought, you know, that was going to be the the final. That that was that was her deathbed essentially. And he's just like, she's she won't be able to talk back to you, but you know, you're able to talk to her. And so if you want to say your goodbyes, now's the time to do that. And so you know, went went through that night and and said my goodbyes. And it was it was I still remember bawling, mm. you know, forever and. And for about a month and a half to two months, I thought that she had passed away. You know, you just didn't hear back. And, and I hear back later, she didn't pass away that night, actually. And I get back from my mission, hear the whole story from my brother's side. And they think it's a big joke. Like, it's a funny thing for them. For me, it's the most traumatic experience. I still remember that, that, that like, broke my heart and then remended it again. You know, it was, it's, it was some defining moments. And uh, I get back, and, and my mom... Jeez, I'm still crying about it, guys. Sorry. Um, so wait a minute. For you said your goodbyes, then you said then you when got. When was off the next the phone, time you found out that she was and alive? You it, was, it was about two months. 
So you found so out you she's alive two months later. your mom passing away for two months in this little like village out in the middle of nowhere. Your dad or no one it was like, hey, mom's still hanging on. They, they were. Like, I just wasn't getting communication. Back. You weren't getting yeah. any communication. Yeah, they, they thought that the communication was getting to me, but I, 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 I didn't, you know. I so in, they were writing me emails. No, my dad didn't just leave me hanging. Yeah, paying a kid. <laughs> yeah, for five I thought they showers. forgot. There was so much going on that they're like. But you know what? I was teamed up with a guy whose dad actually did pass away a month before this, and so I literally thought that this was like at the time. I thought this was like God's way of prepping me, and I just like accepted it. And I was on the mission, so I just worked through it. And you know, that's why I say it's defining. Like, I think I get so, so emotional. It's like a lot of who I am today was defined by those moments, those mm. two months. But, you know, I get back and my brothers tell me the story and they, they still laugh about it because on their side, my mom woke up that night and, dude, my mom's hilarious. There's this girl in our ward named uh, Whitney Woodland and she writes on the piece of paper, she says, Whitney Woodland's super hot because my mom always tried to get us to date this chick. <laughs> like, and so that's the first thing she writes on this piece of paper. Like, I don't know why, but like, she just thought Whitney. it was funny. <laughs> oh, Whitney. What's Whitney doing no. now? <laughs> I actually have no idea. <laughs> He's like, okay, I'll circle back to that. Andrew, <laughs> chase that down, please. <laughs> Whitney no, Woodland, I'm writing it down. But, uh, dude, yeah, so it's, they're, they're still, like, not worried or, you know, not too aware if she's going to make it through the night or not. But she writes down, the next thing she writes down, she says, I wish I would have bought the purse. And so, like, you know, you, you research what people regret on their deathbeds, right? They're, they're, there's a lot of regrets of not spending enough time with family not spending enough time on like valuable things in their life from an emotional standpoint, but never usually a physical standpoint. And so she wrote down, I wish I would have bought the purse. And my dad knew immediately, they, my mom saw a purse a month before that she wished she would have bought. And that's what she's thinking on her deathbed. And some people think that, you know, that could be pretty messed up, but my mom like lived her life like when she was with us at 110%. And so it's like, she never missed a game she never missed anything. She didn't work. Her, her job was her kids. And so with us, she gave us 110% to where she literally had zero regrets on her perceived deathbed that the only thing she actually had a regret was is not buying a stupid purse. Mm. And so in our family now, we joke about it and it's, it's one of our things, but it's kind of like the Nike, just do it. It's, you know, in the tall family, we say just buy the purse. So it's, you know, when we're at work, when, when we're out knocking doors, when we're out with family, wherever we are, it, it doesn't matter just by the purse. So you don't look back and say, dang it, I wish I would have done this while we were doing this, or I wish I would have capitalized on this time while I had it, um, because regrets suck. You want to get to the deathbed with purse yeah. type mentality. So you get home, your mom is still alive and kicking at this point. Yeah. How, yeah. and then what happened? Is she, did, I mean, is she okay now? Like what? Yeah, she, she actually passed away a year after joining Vivint Solar. So she, she lived, what was it, 23 years past her life expectancy. Mm. So Jeez. it was a lot. So you, yeah. um, and I've had, you know, my father's passed away. I think um, we all kind of saw it coming, but, and it sounds like you guys probably did too. But even when it happens, it's still just really, it's, you, you, you can't, it's hard to explain like the emotions that you feel, even when you like see it coming and you know it's coming. Oh yeah. Um, Cause it's still just, there's a finality to it that you just can't sort of explain. Yeah. So, but what, um, <clears throat> I've heard you share that story before. 
Um, I cried harder last time I told that story, by the way. I, he missed it. I do you, it I can it. imagine that. I'm still yeah. thinking about Whitney. I tried to pull it together. Um, <laughs> Whitney Woodman. I'm pretty Whitney sure she got Woodman. married just so you search on Facebook. Yeah, but. you guys keep talking. I'm going to see um, what I can do here. Come on, I'm coming for you, Whitney. We'll bring back Whitney. Oh, man. <laughs> bring back free Whitney, oh, dude. Oh, man. Do, uh, do you mind if I share something else on that? Yeah. Um, so, so back, I, I still remember when I was eight years old, my mom, when she first found out that she had this disease and the doctors originally gave her a two year life expectancy, right? You know, they say, Hey, historically speaking, people with this disease live about two years or a year and a half or whatever it may be. And I still remember as a kid, um, that, you know, she, she's talking to my dad and she, she had this moment where she just broke down. She's like, I just want to grow. I just want to see my kids grow to be men. You know, and I, I think about that a lot from a life lesson standpoint. And, you know, with our customers, we give option questions to our customers, right? We give option questions customer, to our customers because we want a specific answer. It's if you ask an open-ended question, it's like, okay, we're, we're throwing it out there. Yeah, you're going to get a gamble answer. Um, but if you throw out an option question, you're going to get the answer Your that you're looking right. for. And so I, I look at that and I... I still remember that, that time with my mom and my dad where she said, I just want to see my kids grow. And my dad said to her, he's like, okay, you have to make the decision to see him grow then. And I still think, my, so my mom is one of the longest living with her disease of myostenia gravis. If you look it up, she's actually like, I don't know if she's still the top, but she's like top three mm. of, of longest living and extended that life expectancy. And, and it comes down to a decision of choosing to be alive. Obviously, there's there's some other things that go involved in that, but I yeah, think the choice what, to live. What willpower can do. Yep. Do you? I know, and you're a family man. Um, Ryan's boys are like insane soccer players, by the <laughs> way. Um, but yeah, how? Uh, um, you know, your I know your dad's a big influence on your life. Yeah. Um, and obviously, I know you take your family life pretty serious. How are you able to balance family and work? I don't know if I do a good job balancing family and work. I think it's, you know, my family's always first, period. And because they're always first, work is also first, right? I think, you know, I'm blessed working here that my wife can stay home with my kids and um, have that be her main priority. And because that's her main priority, my main priority is making sure that we have enough money to do the things that are fun, the things that are gonna help grow and so I don't know if I do the best job at it. I don't know if I believe necessarily in work-life balance, but I do believe in because my family's the most important thing to me, that work, it, my, my job in our family, at least in, in our household, is they are the number one. So therefore work becomes number one in most cases for us. And my wife is just on the same board, you know, on mm. the same page with it. And it wasn't always like that. Like I've had to go through a bunch of transformations, a bunch of low moments, a bunch of obstacles. Um, you know, on the family side, but we're on the same page where, hey, I'm going to go to work so we can afford to put our kids through the soccer camp, so we can afford to pay for a personal trainer. My, my middle kid just got into horse riding, and horse riding is crazy expensive. Yep. And so I think it's, I don't know if it's necessarily about worried about the balance of it, but I know my role is in my family, I know my role, and therefore work becomes number one because my family actually is my number one. What about you, Ty, so, with your 15 kids? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was what just are thinking, you right now? Are you at 15? Yeah. No, no, we were six as of one month ago. <laughs> there you dude. go. Six kids. Yeah. Um, so what, what I was thinking when you were saying that is 
to me, balance doesn't mean 50-50. You know what I mean? There is a balance. Yeah. Right? Like, sometimes, like, think about if you're, like, standing on a fence balancing, sometimes you're bent over like this and you're still above it, but you're kind of pulled in opposite directions, you know? Yeah. I point. like that they're number one, so they're number one. But here's my, and this may sound totally insensitive, but my, so my youngest son, his name's Wolf, and he, um, he was just barely born. And the, I would love to be home with Wolf. Like, I would love to do that. But the reality is, he doesn't actually need much from me right now. I'm kind of just a forklift. I'll just pick him up and give him to my wife, and then <laughs> she'll, like, feed him, and then she'll, like, I mean, there's not much I can really do. Selfishly, I would love to spend that time with him. But to me, I think Wolf's going to really need me when he's 13 and yeah. when he's 16 and 17 and going on his mission. And if I want to give him the experiences that he needs, I got to, I, I, the most effective thing, like when he was born, my mother-in-law came and stayed at my house for a month and she cooked our meals and she uh, did our laundry and she kind of looked after Stacy, who's her daughter, and she just held the baby. And so I was looking around and I was like, man, she's working so hard and Stacy's like recovering and her body's like, she's working hard. So I should just go to work. Like for me, it's like, I'm just going to go be productive because around here, you guys have got this. And honestly, like now is kind of a time for me to put in. I don't, I I don't know what that's going to sound like to other people, but I feel like I'm like, man, Stacy is working so hard. Like she's juggling so much. And when I'm home, I, I help and I do the things and I, you know, whatever. But last thing I'm going to do is sit around and look at the baby while everyone else is working hard. Like I, and you know, that's now my mother-in-law's back home. So I need to like have a little bit more balance. But for me, it's like, you don't have the luxury of 50, 50. Yeah. Right. And so you have to look at what, where can I contribute the most? But I have a range. Like I, my oldest is 11 and then I have nine and seven and five and they do need me. So how do you show up for them is kind of the question. So I think priorities wise, like I'm showing up, I've never missed my kid's soccer game. That's not, I've missed two actually, but in five years, I think it's pretty decent. But then I have to work way harder in the second half of the day because I miss Saturday mornings. It's, it's one that I've just had to make a decision on. Um, and so I, I hit it, but then I know I have to pick up the slack that I did either earlier in the week or later on that Saturday. Yeah, and I think, I think if you guys, heard, um, Tim Grover's kind of on the circuit right now, you know, uh, the podcast circuit. And he told the story on Tom Bilyeu's podcast, on Impact Theory podcast. Have you guys heard this? He's like mm-hmm. packing his bag and his little girl comes up to him and she says, why do you have to leave? You know, he's Michael Jordan's trainer and Kobe Bryant's trainer and he's got to just be on the road with the guys constantly. And she says, uh, why do you have to leave? And he's like, well, this is what daddy does for his job. I, I do this to put food on the table. And his daughter said, this is heartbreaking. But she says, if I eat less, will you stay home more? Oh. <laughs> right? like, and I think of like my little girls and he's like, he's like, I think what people expect me to say is I unpacked my bag and I put it down and I said, you know, I'll just be here. But he's like, I, that's not really the way life works always. This is his story, not mine, right? So he says what I said to her was, listen, I've made a decision to be the best provider for you that I can. And sometimes that means I have to be away. But I am doing this so that you can have a life or whatever. And he's like, it taught him a really valuable lesson because I think of my dad and he wasn't at every single thing always he was at the really important things always and he was always at the right time but i can catch him on the phone right now i can get like parenting advice and he's he's there because i need him now right and so it's like i learned from that it's like sometimes 
your calling has you do things that are hard. And sometimes it's the time for it and sometimes it's not. And I think when people come into a new job and like you like transferring career, we've all done it. We've all migrated. Yeah. That is a time where it's like, hey, I'm going to be out of balance just a little bit. Well, yeah. and I've, I've, I'm sure you guys have had, I've had times where I did it really well, and then I've had times where I did it really bad, you know, and the times that it went well, it always started with, hey, what are our, what's our goal for the next 12 months financially or just whatever? If it's a financial goal, then I would say, okay, here's the time commitment required for me in order to do this goal. So if I set my schedule with, you know, with these hours, I stick to it. And if we hit the goal, here's what we're going to do either with the money or whatever, then it was much easier to stay out late on a Wednesday night because she knew that I was working toward the goal that we had. Right. But if you're just like randomly, I think, I think sales reps do this all the time. And I, there was times I did it where, I'd get a text like, hey, when are you going to be home? I'd be like, I don't know, when I'm done working, when I'm done knocking, yep. when I'm yeah. done with my last. And it's like that that can grind down a relationship really, really quick. Oh, yeah. And so you have to, it's like start with saying, okay, what's our goal? If your goal is to say buy a house, we need X amount of money in the bank to buy a house. And that's after we've already paid taxes. So that means I have to make you know, X amount of money. In order to do that, I need this many installs on the air. In order to get that many installs, I have to sell this many accounts. Right now, I'm averaging this many per week. I have to up my, you know, I have to up my ACs or welcome calls or whatever it is to this in order to hit this install goal. And you just keep reverse engineering the math until you finally get to your daily schedule or your weekly schedule, and you say, "Are we both prepared to commit to this? Because if we're not, then that can't be our goal. If we're prepared yep. to commit to it, then we can do it." But if we're both committing to this, then I can't get the text at 7 p.m. on a Wednesday that say, hey, when are you home? Like, you know I have to work till 9 on Wednesdays, you know? So yeah. So it just, it's a, a really difficult thing. But I've always admired Ryan because Ryan seems to, and I'm sure you would tell us plenty of stories where you haven't, but it seems like you've always kind of had that part of the job like fairly well dialed. Um, the work-life balance part, and it's something I've sort of envied from a distance. So, appreciate it, man. Um, what do you guys do? Do you like share calendars? You do like a weekly sync up? Do you do like a date night? Like, what's what's your thing? Uh, main, mainly Sundays. Just we do a weekly sync up, and then we have the incentive. I learned that from Adam actually. Where my my four-year-old will actually call me and ask me if I made enough money to go to Disneyland yet. You know, so they, they like to go to Disney World and stuff like that. You're like so. you just called me three hours ago. <clears throat> I'm working on it. No. <laughs> but but it's it's just shift though because they used to ask when are you coming home. Yeah. Right. And now it's like hey, have you made enough to go to do what we want to do? Mm-hmm. You know. So the incentive I, I learned that from Adam actually. I think you trained on that like five years ago or something. And I started implementing the incentive to the kids. My wife and I we were on the same page for what we want to do for our long-term goals, but for the kids. I want to make sure they understand like dad's working so we can go do fun stuff together. And so, you know, it's, it's funny when my four year old, he's like, did you make enough money to go to Disney World? It's like the cutest thing. (laughs) It's the cutest thing on the phone to hear, you know, but he understands like, you know, we do this because we can afford it. I still remember my oldest, he's now 11. When he was eight or nine, we went to a basketball game and we sat front row seats at a jazz game. And I, you know, as a kid, I never could have imagined sitting front row seats and being able to provide that for my kid has always been a goal of mine. But then more importantly than the jazz game, we went walking down in DC 
and we were looking at all these buildings and we looked at all these, there were some, you know, these business buildings with the lights on. And he's like, what, why are those lights on? I still remember him asking, I was like, because those guys are hustlers. Those guys are the ones that are going out there and making stuff happen in this world. They're putting in the extra time and they're doing what others aren't willing to do so they can have what they want in this world. And my kid still today, whenever we see lights on, he always says, hustler. Hustler. That's cool. You know, and and it's just the people who are willing to put in that extra work. But I think those those life lessons as kids that I learned from my parents, you know, my dad, we, we had so much fun together, but we were up every morning. We would move pipe in the fields next to us. We were mowing all the neighbor's lawns. We were down cleaning my dad's dental office, you know, so they, they put us to work and they taught us hard work, but then we had a blast together. We, we'd always have fun. And I think, it's, I think it's just an invaluable thing to teach your kids. And if you're always home with them, if you're always there, if you overdo the family thing, I think you're actually screwing your kids out of some good experiences to learn how to take care of business as now they, they need go to see through life. Work. Yeah. Well, and it's a, it becomes a game, especially anytime, and you've had a lot of this, but anytime you're life changes at all like get a promotion dude it could be a new baby it could be a new relationship it could be i started a new area whatever you you, it's like we have the opportunity to architect our our lives a little bit more so like what you asked me today with my youngest being four weeks old versus you know six months ago and my youngest was two that's different. So now it's like, how do I utilize my time better? Like, when when is my t- when does nobody need me? Yeah. Okay, like five thirty. All right. So I need to I need to crush that hour because I used to have two hours. Now I only have one. So you can you can do it. Like you can control it. The the the, the mistake that I see people make is they're just kind of like, oh well, I got this kid. So what am I supposed to do? Like my wife needs me home. Yeah, and she's it's almost super like stressed this out. big excuse. But you yeah. got it, and it, and it's a real thing. Like the the things are real, and your kids are sad, and they don't understand. And how come I haven't seen you? And you're gonna miss my thing, and it's 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 hard. And so it does take like everybody in this job is a leader, and everybody in this job is a business person, and you've got to figure out your own business. And your wife's your business partner in this situation because, frankly, like, you have the good fortune of your wife's home and taking care of the kids is a full-time job. If you didn't have that, you couldn't do what you do. Nope. You know? Yeah, definitely not. Ryan, it's been yeah. awesome having you on, man. Thanks, Love dude. the life lessons. Love the stories. Uh, long overdue. So thanks, thanks bro. bro. I hope you get to Disneyland, dude. Dude, we're making it. i got to make <laughs> enough. i got to make enough. <laughs> thanks, man. Appreciate you guys. If you've liked what you've heard and are interested in joining our teams, check us out at viventsolar.com forward slash careers. If you enjoyed the podcast, please go to iTunes and subscribe. Leave us a great review and leave us a five-star rating. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This is Electric People. Take these principles and go be electric.